The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together, we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And if you are listening live, you're welcome to join the discussion with your comments and questions. You can call us anytime during the show at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. We would love to hear from you. And Facebook users, you can also message us during the show or any time during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner. And just as with phone calls, uh, your anonymity is always respected. So sometimes it seems that there's only one way, our way, and we get immensely uneasy when we're jarred out of our comfort zone by having to explore a new way of being. You know, or maybe even trying somebody else's suggestions. And so today, we want to share about the journey from reliance only on self to joy in a healthy balance of community and self. And we'll begin by sharing our own experiences of finding ourselves well outside our comfort zone, especially in early recovery, and then move into the solution of learning to be a part of a healthy spiritual community. After the break, we'll share exactly how we use the principle of us to move from a focus only on self to balancing individuality with community. So, Lonnie, what do you remember about that um, discomfort that, I mean, it can continue, but it seems particularly potent, if you will, at the early recovery. What What do you remember about that experience? Well, you know, early recovery is I just lost my shell. You know, I mean, it was like being a turtle without a shell. I Everything I had used to keep the world at bay, to um, harbor, har- you know, keep, keep my feelings at bay, to not take on stuff from anybody else, that was all gone because that was what the things that I used did was it, it sheltered me from all of that. And so I remember, you know, walking into any place and just being terrified. 
Uh, you know, there's one of the promises that says that we'll lose our fear of people. I, I realize now that that's what that was, was that I had this huge, terrible fear of people. Um, and it manifested in a number of different ways. But I mean, I didn't want to, they told me to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I didn't want to go to a meeting. I didn't want to <laughs> walk into a room full of people I didn't know. I want, didn't want to sit down to somebody that might try to have a conversation. You know, I mean, all the, it was just, we talk about not being able to be uh, fit in our skin. That's what it felt like to me. I remember one of the ways that it was really uncomfortable and, and the, a way that I was way outside my comfort zone is that people were sharing about their inner life. And I was absolutely not used to sharing about my inner life with people maybe other than uh, a very small number of close family or friends. And, and even then it wasn't a habit, you know, it wasn't part of who I was. So to be, so to be becoming part of a community where that was kind of the thing that happened more than anything uh, was very strange. Uh, took me a while to get used to. I think it's one of those things that unfolded over time, you know, because there are, there are aspects of our inner experience that are maybe easier to share uh, up front. And then uh, as we, as we move ahead down our path, other, other things may come up that weren't apparent before, or um, maybe I found the words for that I, that I didn't have, but just that whole idea of, of sharing with a group of people, what's going on with me. Now that's ironic because uh, as a minister pastoring a church, I get up every Sunday and I go on at length. You know, I, I told uh, one group, uh, I used to, I had to learn how to stand up uh, and talk to people. And, and now in about 20 minutes, you're going to be asking yourself if I'm ever going to shut up. That's, that's the <laughs> transition. But at first, very, very uncomfortable sharing. And it's just uncomfortable being, I think, at least that was my experience, you know, and, and I, I know that a lot of it was based on my thinking, you know, some of it had been based on my behavior where I became less than welcome at some kinds of gatherings and such, you know, and so it wasn't, it wasn't a, a thing that I was used to, to be invited places. And then when I would be invited and I'm thinking about, I got, I got uh, clean and sober in the fall. And so guess what? It's football season. Mm -hmm. I was not a football fan. I would sit in the, in the bleachers and drink, but I was focused on where the, where the beer guy was. I wasn't focused on the game, you know? And so I didn't really have a following on, a, on that kind of thing. And so to be invited someplace where, oh, I have to bring food. Oh, I, I'm expected to talk to people. I only know what they share in meetings. I don't know them outside of meetings. What on earth are we going to talk about? You know, and then to pretend to be enthusiastic about this thing that's going on on TV that I've never had an interest in before. That was all terribly uncomfortable. How do you be social? And I still have friends that talk about, I'm going to go practice being social, you know, <laughs> because it was not a, a naturally occurring phenomenon for me. <laughs> Yeah, that's. Uh, I think I'm in the same boat there. We could call that introverts uh, getting into recovery, get a little bit of a double whammy. I also remember, and again, this is still about the, that whole aspect of the program where we share and um, you know witness and participate by listening and other people sharing. Now, it's not sure what to say, you know, and worried, constantly worried about. What am I going to say? And, you know, find myself rehearsing it like those 
dreaded meetings where you go down the line or around the circle and I know I could see, okay, there's six more people now, there's five more people now, you know, and it's coming up to me. What am I going to say? Oh, no, the person right before me said what I was going to say. Oh, no, what am I going to say now? And uh, just kind of being stuck in all that. Now, fortunately, that that went away uh, completely after a good bit of time. I mean, not not weeks, not even months, but maybe a couple years into it. Uh, and so it's not so much an issue, but it absolutely was at first. And I was very uncomfortable. You know, I didn't want to sound stupid, uh, but I also didn't want to sound like I was trying to be smart or, you know, it was just very hard for me to find my own unique or, um, you know, my own authentic voice, if you will. I did find it, but man, that was uncomfortable, especially at first. You know, and I went through phases with that. You know, the fir- at first I had the exact identical experience that you're talking about. And then I went through a phase where, oh, pick me, pick me. I know, you know, because as if there was only one answer. And then I had a series of setbacks in terms of health and um, emotional well-being and things of that nature. And I was back to the, don't don't call on me. I don't know what I'm going to say, you know, where I couldn't even think of two or three sentences and let alone finish them. And I, I you know, it was, it was a challenging time to move through because, um, because I was again back as if I were in the seat of a newcomer where I was just so uncomfortable in my skin, you know, and, and I was also afraid of going new places. Um, back in the day, the meetings I was going to were all smoking meetings and I'm severely allergic to cigarette smoke. And so I would travel to the one non-smoking meeting, this part of town, that part of town, this part of town, that part of town. And I had to get to know other people in other places. But I was terrified to go. So I'd look it up on the map, on the computer, on MapQuest or something. And then I'd drive by it the day before. And then I'd go early the day of and I'd sit in the parking lot and scope out who was coming in. You know, all of these things just because I was so uncomfortable. Yeah, I can identify with that. It's 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 kind of like that. Um, it reminds me of being a little kid at the swimming pool. And, you you know, my, I might stick one toe in the water, then two toes. And then there's other people just walking up and jumping in. And it's like, oh, man, uh, if I did that, I'd get it over with quick. But I don't know about that. That doesn't seem like a good idea, easing our way in. Um, so uh, after sort of beginning to become comfortable with, uh, with talking, then, then there came the issue of, you know, instead of, oh, do I have to talk? Did they have to talk? Oh my God, did you hear what this person said? And just um, learning that part of community that allows uh, not only me to find my own way and find my authentic voice, but to allow everyone else to find their own way and find their own authentic voice. And yeah, maybe they said something that did sound kind of dumb, but hey, I've been there. You know, what does that have to do with me? Nothing. Or man, that person really sounds like they're trying to tell us all how it is. You know, sort of the flip side of all those things I was concerned about um, you know, being reflected ar- around me by others in the room or, oh, I always like what this person had to say. It's like, oh, my God, this person never, you know, she goes on and on and on. And everything related to the others in the room. So there was a learning curve and a discomfort there as I worked to, you know, worked, I guess, uh, by continuing to show up to uh, forge connections with um, other people in the room and, and stop freaking out about what they're saying or not saying, like I was freaking out about what I'm going to say or not say. 
You know, I'm reminded of, of uh, sitting in the rooms and being so confused, not just because of the jargon or because of the unfamiliarity, unfamiliarity, but it seemed like one person would share something and the next person would share the exact opposite. You know, and I can remember talking with my sponsor about that. that and, and I further, I was connecting a level of recovery to the number of years that I knew they had in the program. And so if if somebody with 30 years said something that I thought was dumb and the, and the guy with two years next to him said something that seemed kind of opposite, I assumed that the guy with 30 years knew what he was talking about. But that was not always the case. No. <laughs> and and that was baffling to me. And so I had to learn to, you know, that was my comfort zone before. Identify the people in the room that know what they're talking about, listen to them, follow them, do what they do, and I'll be good, right? Well, that turned out not to be necessarily good, good uh, a good practice for me. And so uh, learning to listen, f- what to listen for, how, how to listen uh, for the, the, I'll use a little T, truth in the room, in whatever was being said as people shared their experience, strength, and hope. That left me very uncomfortable because it was like I was standing on ice. I didn't know what to believe. Yeah, I, I that just, you're bringing, you're taking me back to all the, all the various messages and everyone's different take on things and what some people seem to think was really important seemed was different than what other people seemed to think really was important or you know you got to make sure to you know fill in the blank you're going to get a different thing from different people yeah definitely confusing and uncomfortable i i remember that just the I I found the structure, the the whole concept of a bunch of people getting together in a structured discussion about something like um, addiction was a very weird thing to me. And I was just kind of uncomfortable with the idea of, I don't know what, it just seemed weird. It's like, what? We we all, we're going to sit here and then we're going to, that just seemed very strange thing from, from where I sat and, and structure in general was not something I was, uh, super, um, uh, friendly with, you know, I had that, uh, don't tell me what, you know, have a nice day. Uh, don't tell me what to do. You know, if I was in a bad mood, I, I, I actively resisted, um, any kind of structure anyway. So that became part of it for me. Well, so now that we know what the challenge is, this focus only on ourselves, what's the solution? In unity, we affirm that all people have inherent value and all are part of a global, universal community of spirit. And and this is closely related to the concept of oneness that infuses all of our principles. It says that we're all linked at a deep level and that this connection is of primary importance in the world. And so it can be helpful to think about this connection as the principle of us. And so that's what we want to focus on today. But what does the principle of us look like in the world? Are we saying that individuals don't matter? How can I still be valued as me and at the same time be an equal with all others? You know, those are some really baffling questions to consider, Dan. Have you got some thoughts on that you'd like to share? I do. And, and, and what I was thinking about was what does a healthy community look like, particularly a healthy spiritual community? Because th- those are the, the communities I find myself in most often or far more than other are spiritual communities, whether it's a, you know, a, a, a church kind of thing or, or a recovery community or even uh, amongst peers who are also um, oriented towards a spiritual way of living. And, and what struck me, one thing 
that a healthy community looks like to me is is that basic principle of the democratic ideal that you know one person one vote you know the the democratic ideal is meant to level the playing field so that each person has the same amount of influence as any other person now we know in in the reality of uh, political life that money comes into it and all of a sudden you get to uh, we're all equal but some of us are more equal than others and and some do end up with a louder voice than others but that ideal of the democratic principle that says each person has a vote everyone is equal that to me is what a healthy spiritual community looks like you know, there are a lot of factors, I think, that go into this healthy community, and if, like many of us, a person comes out of an unhealthy family, community, organization, it's easier to start with what it's not, you know, than to, to say what it is. But one of the common denominators that I found was, for me, was that I can identify that the community operates by a code of conduct of some type, by some set of guidelines or rules for the group. And I can think back even to my to my childhood, you know, the 4-H group, head, heart, and hands. You know, we, we operated by that. You think about uh, the 12-step programs, they operate, a group operates by the 12 traditions. You think about unity, we operate according to the five principles. You know, you think about Buddhism, they operate according to the eightfold path. You know, these these spiritual communities, when they're healthy, operate according to some code of conduct that addresses things like you just mentioned. Who has a voice? How is that voice expressed? You know, uh, how do we how do we move together through the world? And that is helpful to me when I'm looking for a framework. Yes, I can see that, and I I was struck by that as well as I slowly kind of you know how the the light slowly goes on. That's how my experience of learning new things, especially by, you know, jumping in or, or immersion experience, which is what uh, my early recovery experience felt like. I noticed also in healthy community, um, and I've been in both, you know, I've, I've seen churches that felt like they were healthy spiritual communities and some not so much. I've seen uh, recovery groups that seemed healthy and some not quite so much. Um, but in, in the ones that are healthy, every person is valued equally regardless of things like their social status, you know, what their occupation is. Do they, are they, you know, wearing more expensive clothes or less expensive clothes? You know, what can you detect that they do for a living? Maybe there's an attorney or a doctor who in the world in general might be seen as more valuable, um, but not in a healthy spiritual community, right? Because we're all individuals and each person is, is valued equally. Didn't matter what race you were, gender, sexual orientation, et cetera, all that stuff um, was not only was the idea that it got left at the door, but I found it to be the practice. It actually did get left at the door, which is really kind of amazing. I mean, sometimes we'll pay lip service to ideals like that, but then you quickly figure out, well, in reality, uh, you know, th th this person's more important than that person for whatever reason. You know, they've been around longer. Or like you said, sometimes the person with 30 years in the program um, is sort of short on a concept that the person with six months sees very, very clearly. And I learned from the person with six months, like, that is exactly right. Thank you for clarifying that for me, even if I've been in there some years, you know. And so even in that way, 
um, you might think, well, whoever's been around longer, they're more authoritative. Hey, maybe yes, maybe no. You know, in a spiritual community, that doesn't really matter so much. You know, another thing that I found um, as a as a characteristic of a of a healthy group is the way that uh, disagreement and conflict are handled. I remember early on hearing stories, horror stories about going to group conscience. And I was warned to stay away from it because I was conflict avoidant. And it appeared that there was a lot of conflict that went on at these at these meetings. And, you know, I, I found over time that it was me, <laughs> you know, that was afraid of this. What I didn't understand was the difference between disagreement and conflict and that people can disagree with one another and still be friends. People can disagree uh, even heatedly and still uh, work together, play together, live together, be in the same group together, all of those kind of things. And so the common denominator here is that they are, there are non-destructive ways to handle disagreement and conflict that comes up. And there is agreed upon process for that. And it allows for what you talked about earlier, where every voice can be heard. You know, what is that process? It's not shut down. Nobody's turned off. Nobody's turned away. And so, you know, when I when I look at a community is how, how do they handle conflict? How healthy is the way that they handle conflict? That helps me assess the health level of this of this particular group that I'm considering participating in. Yeah, I I find that remarkable as well. And I've been in uh, group, large groups, like regional get-togethers uh, in a recovery community where decisions are being made and dissenting voices are always allowed. You know, they follow Robert's rules. And so it's not a free-for-all, but there is a place for all voices to be heard. And there is the concept of stepping back and reconsidering if something has been shared that seems like it's um, you know, bringing a new perspective and a new light to it. And yes, it can take longer. You know, I, I know that I, if my goal is to get this over with as fast as possible, I'm going to cause trouble for myself in a healthy spiritual community because getting things done as quickly as possible is not the goal in a healthy uh, community. Getting things done in a way where everyone has been heard and every, you know, most, we won't say everyone, generally feels like, you know, this is this is where the group is going as a, you know, the collective conscious, if you will, of the group or the group conscience is going. I also noticed uh, what you had mentioned before about structure. And certainly in a recovery community, the traditions, you know, the steps and the traditions that that guide us, but also group group specific things like here's how we do the opening. Here is where we give out the chips. And um, I got so used to my first home group, the way they did everything, and that when I was traveling, which I've shared about before, and I went to another group, and people said, how was it? I, well, it was pretty good. I mean, except they did everything wrong. Uh, other than that, it was pretty, you know, because they gave the chips out different, and they split into subgroups, and they just had their own ways. But their ways were consistent within their group, and it made sense, and it served the group purpose, just like our my own home group had its ways of doing things that were consistent and served the group's purpose. You know, there's more than one way um, for a group of people to get together and to uh, 
conduct themselves in a harmonious manner. And and it's really helpful if that group decides on some, here's how we do this. That's that's great. So now we don't have to talk about that every time. And that leads right into something I was thinking about earlier when you mentioned about um, this inclusivity and, and affirming uh, of the members of the group. Um, you know, irregardless of the external station in life and that kind of thing is another aspect that I've noticed that comes out in these groups is working toward a shared goal and not just, oh, yeah, we're all trying to stay clean and sober. You know, there are, as you mentioned, group goals and regional goals and and other kinds of goals. There may be an outreach into a prison. There may be, you know, a special uh, outreach to a women's shelter or whatever else. But the group has goals that they try to achieve in an agreed upon manner. You know, there may be subgroups like an H&I committee or what have you, but but there is a shared uh, vision, if you will, um, and, and a process of how we do this that gets identified um, for, for any aspect that a group takes on. We don't have a whole lot of uh, uh, renegades just going, well, I want to do this, so I'm going to go do that. Yeah, and that for me, that underscores another aspect that I've noticed about healthy spiritual communities is there's a strong sense of of value and belonging, not just, uh, you know, value in in this in that feeling like a valued member of the group, but also at the same time, valuing other members of the group. Um, you know, striking that healthy balance that says, um, you know, what? W- I am an important presence here, and so are you, and so is that other person, and even that challenging person, who sometimes I think, oh my God, I wish they weren't here, I gotta go find another meeting, or what if that person is a valued uh, part of the community uh, equally with me or with anyone. And and sometimes, again, we, you know, I mentioned before about how um, you can learn things from unexpected places. Sometimes the most annoying person you know, in in my hopefully short-lived view at that time, uh, became one of the most profound teachers that I ever had when I, you know, found my way to realizing, you know what, it's me, it's not them. Uh, All of a sudden, they're not so annoying anymore. You know, so glad they changed. It's like that old um, story about, uh, you know, when I first went in, my sponsor was crazy. Right, and he's telling me to do all this stuff, and I'm like, whatever, you know, I didn't want him to upset him. This guy's obviously off his rocker, so I would just do the things that he said. But then after uh, some time passed, I noticed he got more and more sane, and after a few years, he, he, you know, I was just so proud of how far he had come. <laughs> when the joke is that it was me that was crazy, not him. It was me that grew and became more and more balanced, even though it looked like it was my sponsor. Isn't that silly? Yep, it uh, it does seem that way. You know, something else I know about um, healthy community is that unhealthy community expects um, conformity and rigidity, yes. and um, often tries to enforce that with authoritarianism, uh, dictatorial edicts, and things of that nature. And healthy community encourages individuality. And, you know, we talk about that in unity, individuality as being the God inside of you expressing. And so, you know, if if you're in a group that is encouraging individuality, you're in a good group. 
Absolutely. But hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you as we continue the conversation. The phone number to dial is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. So prior to the break, we were discussing that uh, very common discomfort in early recovery that really is a result of our long-standing uh, ways of being self-centered. And then all of a sudden when we're in a community and it's not about, all about us anymore, that can be very uncomfortable. We also talked about what does a healthy community, especially a healthy spiritual community, look like? And so, Lonnie, now that we know about this challenge of uh, being over-focused on self and the discomfort that comes from that, and the solutions, what we are calling the principle of us, how exactly can we use this to come to a healthy balance of self and community? Well, you know, when I arrived, I wanted to be well like tomorrow. I wanted a healing event. I wanted to be told what to do, how to do it, and be healed. I didn't want to have to do this thing that turned out to be a process or a journey. you know. And so what I can say about the how on this is it keep coming back. Time takes time. Keep practicing. Uh, just take one tiny step. And for me, that meant I had to listen to my community, these people that I I chose to participate with. And sometimes I had to take suggestions. You know, and, and a lot of times they were very tolerant. They'd say, well, okay, well, how's that working for you? And it wasn't. They said, well, then you might think about doing this instead. You know, and so, you know, part of, of the us for me was listening to the other voices in the room and following some of those suggestions. When I think about what I what I what did I do or have to do in order to balance self and community, the very first thing that comes to mind is that I simply kept showing up. And I, I kept showing up. I'd made a commitment to this process, even if I was uncomfortable, you know, looking for uh, people that I enjoyed uh, being around or people that, where I admired uh, what they seemed to be bringing in uh, so that I was finding positive aspects of being present uh, in the meetings, in addition to all that discomfort that we talked about before, which was also present. But, you know, in, in order to get to a place where I could begin to learn, and, and I do think of it that way, is I, to begin to learn, to balance self and this whole new concept of uh, healthy community, I had to show up, right? Nothing, nothing was going to happen if I wasn't willing to show up. It's just like when we get onto a recovery path, we have to stop 
the previous behavior. It's not optional. You know, I, I cannot uh, move forward on, say, an, uh, an alcohol recovery path if I am still using alcohol. It's impossible, right? So I've got to stop doing that and show up in the new environment and be willing. And even if I don't know why I'm showing up or I don't know what's going to happen, I don't even know how any of this works, if I just show up, the rest of that will fall in place over time. So that's what I had to do to learn all that is just show up. And that's that one tiny step, you know, just 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 showing up in the next step. You know, I had to learn to be with other people and I had to learn trust, which was not an easy thing to do. I mean, I can say, oh, sure, I trust you, but I didn't know the meaning of the word. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what it felt like. Um, and, you know, and so I engaged in in a number of different things, including therapy, getting a sponsor, going to lots of meetings, uh, going to church, you know, having some other spiritual guides and mentors along the way. And my codependency said, just do what they say, what they say, it'll be fine, you know, but that doesn't work for me either because I'm running around with all these people in my life doing what they say and some of it's contradictory and I still don't know what works for me. You know, and so I had to learn to be with and learn to trust these other people by identifying what's going on in me. What is this old idea I'm operating out of? Because that's where my pain point was. And it was it was some very simple old ideas. For example, I have to do this alone. I'm the only one that thinks this way. There's nobody else that's ever felt the way that I feel right now. You know, those are those are old ideas, and I couldn't even identify them until I started listening to some of these other people that I let just even a tiny bit into my life. And and so that started that journey. Yeah, I, I remember distinctly feeling like I don't fit in here. You know, for whatever reason, I'm not like these people, not a negative way. It's like, you know, it might be that uh, part of that was... Uh, uh, you know, am I too good for this? But at the same time, there was, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I don't fit in. I'm not that smart. I don't get it or whatever. And what I needed to do uh, in the face of something like that. Uh, so an, another thing I did to balance self and community is to listen to what other people were saying, whether I liked what they were saying or not. Um, now, certainly I would hear what they were saying, whether I liked it or not, but I began to become willing to listen to what they were saying, whether I liked it or not, and look for, you know, uh, and basically think, you know, this person is finding truth in what they're saying, no matter how it's landing with me. Um, I wonder what that is. You know, if can I, if I peer closely enough and pay attention to what they're saying, can I see the truth in it, even if it, you know, maybe from their point of view, and I don't see it quite from mine, but to make a game out of um, looking for something good in everyone, even uh, if in general, I, I found a, a person's, uh, you know, frustrating, annoying or whatever. Uh, fortunately, that was not my experience with most people, but I think everyone who's been in uh, a spiritual community, especially recovery communities, had that experience of, oh, my God, it's so-and-so, and they're saying this. But can I listen to that and find some truth in it that's helpful? Because it's there. I guarantee that it's there. Uh, so I had to become willing to look. And I had to become willing to participate. You know, I had, I had gone through my, my youth as a joiner. It was a way of running away. 
you know, I was going to be in this and be in that and be in something else. And it was a way of avoiding the way that I felt until I found alcohol. And, um, and, and so, you know, it was not foreign to me when somebody said, oh, you need to do this, that I would join up and do that. But I was still avoiding actual connections in doing that. And so I had to learn to participate in a way that would allow me to be still, uh, sit with others, to um, provide service, you know, um, in a way that would get me out of my own head and out of my own self. Uh, and I had to practice practice things like letting go, letting go of my ideas about this this dumb committee or how come I'm the one that has to make the coffee or what do you mean you need a greeter at the door? Can't they open the door for themselves? You know, I mean, there's all those kind of self-centered thoughts that I, I could I could do this. So I made a practice when somebody said, uh, Lonnie, we need somebody to do this. I go, okay, I can do that. Not what I want to do, not what I'd have volunteered for. It wasn't necessarily the thing that I thought I was fit for, but I would do that. And those taught me how to participate in a group as one of the group, not as the leader of the group, you know, and not as somebody sitting on the sidelines. And that was important. Yeah, that sounds like uh, those are great examples of just showing up and, you know, being willing and 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 like you said, okay, I'll I'll do that. I'll try it. I'll I'll be like everybody else. Other people have done that. I can do it too. Um, I had to continually work on share what I would call sharing with integrity, which to me means not worrying about whether I sounded quote good or bad. You know, I, I want everyone to think I'm smart, so I better say something. You know, so that I sound smart, and then then I open my mouth and and uh, get quite the opposite uh, result. But that whole that whole line of thinking that says I need to say something so that, you know, people will think this or they won't think that or, or whatever. I had to slowly let go of that over time and learn to just share from uh, exactly where I was in that moment without trying to make it into something, without turning it into a presentation of some kind that was designed to, you know, amuse or, uh, be profound or what, you know, whatever I might think that I'm trying to do, lay all that aside and just say, you know, here's, here's what's coming up for me right now in this moment. And so that, that's an ongoing process too. I don't think that that, I don't believe that that's ever done. I think that's something that I uh, continue uh, to work with over time, you know, if only to check in because uh, it's easy to slip back into old habits. One of the tools that helped me immensely, uh, it's a program tool, um, it's, it's a phrase in the, in the literature, it says, love and tolerance is our code, period, end of sentence. And I don't know how many times I was in that place you were describing earlier about being annoyed or irritated with mm -hmm. somebody or some situation or something, and all that this one guy in the meeting would say is, love and tolerance is our code. And I started going, okay, what's that all about? you know, okay, tolerance, I can do tolerance. What does tolerance look like? You know, and for me at that point, it meant keeping my mouth shut, not putting up resistance against it, uh, not putting out the energy that my way is right. Of course, the energy was still there, that kind of thing, like you're crazy, you know, uh, not blowing them off, all of those things that we talked about earlier. Uh, but, but what is love? How do you get from tolerance to love? And and, and, you know, for me, it went through this process of acceptance and acceptance is allowing people to be who they are, allowing them to say what they say, owning their own experience and their own process, similar to what you were just describing. 
Uh, and then I could accept them at face value. That's who they are. That's where they are. That's what they, what what's working for them, that kind of thing. And I don't have to change anything. And yet there was one more step for me, and that was to learn to celebrate them for the being that they are, wherever they are on their path. And that was not an overnight deal. And so practicing this love and tolerance is our code every time I felt annoyed was a very significant um, uh, tool in my toolbox, in my spiritual toolkit. That's a pretty tall order to go from annoyed to tolerant to accepting to celebration is quite a journey. I mean, that's a journey of a lifetime. I think that that right there, we could make up a new religion, and that would be the core <laughs> of it. And that would keep all of us uh, busy from now to the end of time, practicing that that uh, way of being in the world um, as a religion. Yeah, because you know, tolerance, as you say, is a wonderful first step. Tolerance means to me, you know, you're wrong, but I'm going to be nice about it. Right. And, and then yeah. acceptance means, uh, you know, you're wrong. Maybe maybe there's some of that still around or not. But you know what? It's OK. We don't all have to think the same thing. It's OK if you're wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then to 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 move to valuing each person that, you know, forget about the whole thing. What, what did Rumi write uh, out beyond uh, right doing and wrongdoing? There is a field. I will meet you there. Uh, that's a profound statement that says, you know what, there's more to all of this than what I, even if all my friends agree about the rightness or the wrongness, um, there's more going on than just that. And uh, maybe if I turn my attention toward, like uh, you use the word celebration, which I think is a perfect uh, description, if I turn my attention uh, towards celebration, um, I'm not, again, I'm not pretending that the other stuff's not there. I'm just choosing to, you know, point the flashlight of my mind, if you will, at something a little bit different. That to me is a, another way of saying that I learned to withhold judgment and realize, you know, I don't have to decide just because someone said something and maybe I had an internal reaction that was, you know, quick. I don't have to decide if they're right or they're wrong or they're sort of right or they got this part right, but that part wrong. I don't have to do any of that. Right. I can I can learn to withhold judgment and just be OK sitting in the question and uh you know, it reminds me of the scene in uh, in the Big Lebowski where the the dude's landlord is reminding him that it's the tenth of the month, and you could see he doesn't get he hasn't paid his rent yet. That's what he's trying to get to, and when he realizes that, he just says far out. You know, can I just stand there and nod and say far out to whatever it is that's being shared, and not get sucked into any drama related to it? Uh, I, I can practice that, and that's one thing that I have had to do and continue to do in order to balance, you know, we're talking about balancing self and community. That has been a big part of it. Well, you know, and you made a, you, you said a very important word there, and that is practice. You know, none of these things are lessons that I learned, and and they're there. You know, I learned about how to practice these lessons, and it's it's spiritual practices. That is what we do. That is the journey, as far as I'm concerned, is employing this new way of living, which relies on spiritual practices to guide me through my life instead of relying on uh, worldly things that uh, otherwise I was looking at. You know, how much money am I making? How much esteem do I have in the world? Who am I, who am I connected with? My, what size is my network? You know, how good a job do I have? All of those kind of things, which is what had guided me. 
uh, up to the point where I found a spiritual way of living. And so whatever spiritual path we choose, for me, it's all about the practice. You know, if we're not doing it, it's not going to, for me, it's not going to stick if I don't continue to do that. So, you know, another thing related to the love and tolerance piece is uh, there's another line that that was very profound for me in the literature. It said, deep within every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be lost with, you know, covered up, uh, but if you look for it, it is there. And when I am reminded of that line, I started looking for it. So in practicing this love and tolerance, that is the next step for me is, where is that great reality within that person? Can I find it? As you were talking earlier, you know, some of the some of the examples that you gave about uh, about making a game of it and looking for that. That that helped me find, okay, I can see I can see that spark of, of life within that person. It, all of this is a practice. Uh, you know that was one of the difficult things to uh, to sort of realize because I, uh, like you described, you know, was kind of thinking, okay, I, 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 there's some things that I need to learn, and then once I learn them, then I'll know them because that's how everything else worked, right? And then I'll I'll be done in a way. And so to hear that this was a you know a, a shift in a fundamental way of being in the world seemed like a very negative thing in a way at first. Uh, ironically, has turned out to be by far the most positive attribute of this whole thing. Is the, You mean I get to live like this and I don't have to live like that anymore? And before it was, you mean I don't get to do this and I have to do that? You know, the whole thing turned upside down and I'm just so amazed by and grateful for it. Uh, something I had to do was learn to participate. I was never a person who willingly or gladly participated. I was I was much happier to sit on the sideline and watch and observe what everyone else was doing, not the one to sort of jump in to the middle and participate. So not not only, for example, share when called upon, because I learned at some point I can say, I think I'll just listen today, which was a, a good phrase for me to have that I didn't have to share even if I was in a meeting, you know, some meetings, you raise your hand, some meetings, the chair calls on you. In my home group, we were called on. Um, so not only to share when called upon, but to be willing to lead the meeting, you know, to be, to be the one that when, when everyone's sitting around looking at each other and it's one minute after and we realize, oh, the chair hasn't shown up, I'll do it. You know, just stand up and walk up front and, and be willing to do it to help clean up, you know, on cleanup day to help set up, uh, make the coffee or whatever it might be, you know, to, to stand for for an officer position after I'd been around a while. I'd been GSR and treasurer, you know, to be willing to serve in, in those ways. I had to learn to participate fully. So that was a way that I um, that I continue to practice balancing self and community just through participation. You know, I remember walking in, I was in so much emotional pain, like many, many people are. And I was lamenting, I was stuck for a while. I was lamenting all the things I didn't have and all the ways my life had had not been and um, what what my family couldn't give me growing up. And, and I was stuck in that. And somebody suggested, this is one of the us things, they suggested that I had the opportunity to choose a family of choice instead of a family of origin. And I could look around for these things that I wanted in, in an older woman 
to to guide me with, in an older man to 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 help me along with, and in in a, a co sister or brother uh, sponsee, if you will, you know, somebody else in the program about the same amount of time that I am that can uh, identify with what I'm going through, where I've been, what I want, what I need, that has healthy input to give me based on their own experiences. And and I and they said, and you don't have to call them a sponsor. You know, I could look around and I could go, you know what, I wish that person was my sister. And then I could be I could be connected to them and I could start hanging out with them and I could do those kinds of things, those activities and have those kinds of conversations with them. And that was immensely helpful to me um, to be able to to pick somebody that modeled what I thought I wanted, you know, and, and that could meet some of the needs that I had in that way and help me grow through that and help me change some of my belief systems, you know, because we talk about being all black and white thinkers. You know, mm-hmm. all men are bad, all women are manipulative, all of this, all, you know, when you say all and never and always and things like that, those were other belief systems that I needed to have challenged. And so being able to pick other healthy people along the spiritual path that I was following was immensely helpful to me. I had to learn to begin recognizing when I was putting people on a pedestal. Um, that that was not something that I was really aware of but it was something that I would do, um, you know, along with many other ways I had of being in the world. But I had to learn when I was putting someone on a pedestal, like, for example, what always stuck with me, the, the example that stuck with me, the man who was the group chair when I arrived. Oh, that's the group chair. That person must be really important around here. You know, that that's what I think. And then, uh, you know, the way the roles rotate and people roll on to and we roll off of the leadership committee and what have you, maybe on and off the steering committee. And so some time passes and that person's no longer uh, the group chair and they're just sitting in the back on the couch like anybody. And I'm like, this is weird. You know, in my head, that person like they glow a little brighter than other people somehow or other because they were, I realized because they were the group chair when I got there and I, you know, very quickly decided, well, that means that, you know, they, they, they sit higher than most people. That's the boss, you know, that's the CEO or, or whatever. And then to just watch year after year unfold is like, I remember when I thought that that, and then, and that they're not, they're just, they're a regular Joe or regular Jane, just like everybody. But they stood up when it was their turn, if you will, their opportunity where they felt called to serve in that way. And then they sat down again when they were done. And then the next person did it. And then the next person. And then the next person. And so it slowly kind of eroded that sense that, wow, this person is really important. Uh, But I definitely noticed that. And so that helped me to notice it in other situations, too. You know, looking down on people is only one way of separating myself. Looking up to people is another way I can separate myself. One of the things that I did to um, begin to balance self and community was to move into um, a sponsorship role or a buddy role, reach into into the, the ranks of those who had arrived after I did. And whether it was formal or not, what was important for me was that I remembered what it felt like. And I could talk to them and I could and I could uh, be a friend 
you know, I remembered how I didn't want to talk to anybody. I remembered how I stood in a corner and I didn't feel included. And so when I see people like that, I, I try to go over and at least say hi and introduce myself and, you know, engage in some kind of, of discussion with them. Um, and so that was helpful as well, because I started getting out of my own head and into uh, inviting somebody into the group. You know, one way that uh, I just mentioned about, um, you know, separating myself either by looking down on someone or looking up on them. Uh, one question that I heard that I loved, and, and, and we even made it a, a big part of our uh, description, who made me the teacher? H how is it all of a sudden that I'm the one that knows and that, and that I need to tell them because I know and they don't know and blah, blah, blah. It's just another way of, of separating myself. But now let us move into action. Because unity's fifth principle states it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from being focused uh, on yourself and uncomfortable uh, to being balanced with community using this principle of us. Think of a way that you might still be overly self-oriented. Do you find that you can't be happy at home unless things get done your way? Are you seeing that you are stepping on the toes of others at work, maybe even without realizing it? And does all this talk about the values of community make you want to say, hey, what about me? What's important is to pick one thing, something simple to focus on in this exercise. And, and you can take what you do here today into your life this week and return to it anytime you choose in order to find uh, a time of peace. So let's use a simple example of, of always needing things to be done my way. We use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to this overfocus on self. You could say something like, thinking only of myself is not the truth of who I am. Repeat that a few times in your head or aloud and say it with conviction that thinking only of myself is not the truth of who I am. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, I see the same spirit of life in others that I feel moving in me. I know we're all blessed. And then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. Thinking only of myself is not the truth of who I am. I see the same spirit of life in others that I feel moving in me. I know that we are all blessed. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope you found something that can help you on your recovery path. Thank you to everybody that was listening, and we bless you on your recovery journey. And thank you, Dan, for all of the insights that we shared in our discussion today. And listeners, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback and questions. We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. 
they just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.